Hey there, just a quick note that this is part two of my interview with Michelle. So if you haven't listened to the first episode, I'd recommend that you do that so you have a better understanding of Michelle's whole story. That's all. Now on to the show. I've been hosting this podcast for a while now and talking to so many different people about what it means to be Asian or to belong to a certain community and culture. And you'll think that I would have a better idea of what the criteria for being Asian enough is. But if I'm being completely honest, things have gotten even more fuzzy since I've started this podcast. Is it a question of language skills, shared lived experiences, partaking in traditions or festivals, or maybe knowing how to cook food from that culture? Because not everyone has the privilege of growing up in and around their culture. Maybe you, like me, had a complicated family history, you were adopted, never lived in your home country, or you could have grown up in a cult. What I know for sure is that being Asian and belonging to a community isn't just about checking off boxes. I don't have the perfect answer, but I think it's a combination that includes genuine interests, which could look like reading and learning about your heritage, speaking to people from your community, and also having that community claim you as part of who they are. I think another nice experience was going shopping with my mom in the Asian supermarket. She'd always tell me the stuff, what, like what it is. And then I start doing that in the Asian supermarket. Like, it's actually such a ritual for me to like go through all of the aisles and like look at it and like, oh, I could buy this and then make this. I'm Natalina Pereira and this is Asia is not a country. On the podcast, I speak to everyday Asians about the struggle. Whether that's dealing with overbearing parents, being the token minority at work, or having to reckon with the all-too-passionate white friend or colleague who has made anti-racism the hill they want to die on now. Come on, admit it. You know who I'm talking about. Jokes aside, one of the more complicated issues I've had to deal with is being comfortable enough to claim my Indian heritage around other Indians. I don't speak any of the languages. I can only cook a handful of South Asian dishes. And once my Amachi, my paternal grandmother, passed away, I lost all connection with the Indian side of my family. I recently showed a picture of my Amachi to a friend's mom, who's originally from Tamil Nadu, which is right next to Kerala where my grandparents were born. And my friend's mom took one look at the picture and said, your grandmother looked like a typical Malayali. And I cannot tell you how proud that made me. As weird as it sounds, it was sort of a stamp of validation. And it was almost as if she was saying that I was Indian by association. Since moving to Berlin, I've spent many hours online searching for South Asian recipes that I recall my Amachi cooking while she was still alive. Till this day, I have not had a cup of chaya or chai that was as good as hers. And while my uncle, who has recently resurfaced in my life, told me how she made it, I still can't get it right. It's one of the things that truly makes me sad, because I think that if I could just get this cup of chaya right, I feel like I could finally claim my Indianness and have something that I could potentially pass on to my children if I ever have any. 
And of course, going back to India is the dream. And while this dream fills me with so much hope, I'm also terrified about my inability to speak Malayalam, which will further alienate me from a culture that already feels so out of reach. In part two of my interview with Michelle, we talked just about that, the experience and the journey of reconnecting with a lost or disconnected culture. For Michelle, she wanted to see if signs could help her out. Being in a cult isn't a particularly Asian experience. Um, I think something we haven't really mentioned or dived deep into is your Japanese heritage or Mm -hmm. how you feel about being Japanese. Um, I remember you told me that you took a DNA test earlier this year, last year. Yeah. Yeah. Why why did you do it? Um, So, first of all, I wanted to see how Asian I was. (laughs) But also on my mom's dad's side, who's American, I don't know anything about that side. So I know that most people in America aren't like Native American. So they must have come from somewhere. And I wanted to know what that was. Turns out I'm like actually more Eastern European than Japanese. So Mm -hmm. it ended up being like 23% Eastern European and 17% Japanese which doesn't come up to 50% because there's a little bit of other stuff mixed in, like Papuan and Chilean. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's really weird, (laughs) but happens. And then on my dad's side, it's just like 48% Northern European, like German Swiss. (laughs) So that's like the the white part of me. (laughs) I look pretty white, so people don't really know where I'm from. It's actually a, a game of mine to like, People ask, oh, where are you from? And I just ask them to guess. So I've had Israeli, uh, Mexican, Russian, Eastern European. as com- quite common. So I guess they're kind of close. Um, never German. I've also noticed that when I'm in Italy, people treat me like I'm Italian. In Italy, like they will only treat you like you're Italian if they think you're Italian. And in the UK, I mean, like people look different there too, but... I don't look like the average British person. So, yeah. But I wanted to, like, know a little bit more about myself. Um, I was kind of disappointed with just 17% Japanese because I always told everybody I'm, like, quarter. So I'm missing a little bit. But um, I think it's also, you know, showing me that it's just a percentage. Mm -hmm. It's like who you are is not defined by, like, a swab in your yeah. cheek. <laughs> <laughs> it's also like about what you've been exposed to. And um, it's cool, but then you have this identity crisis. Like, <laughs> so maybe like I'm having as well. Um, so I like to think that the exposure that I've had has helped me develop my identity as well. Mm-hmm. Could you go back to how you felt when you saw that 17%? Can you remember? <laughs> Sad. <laughs> um, I, I didn't want... I, I thought it would be, like, more. But, like, you know... Exactly. 25% yeah. you are a quarter Japanese. That means you're 25% Japanese. I know that's not how DNA works. Yeah. <laughs> 
this is the Japanese part is actually like the, the strongest association I have like to any of my cultures of the bigger percentages. It's the smallest one. I was a bit sad. I felt like I couldn't claim like I didn't have any right to claim that part of myself because the culture in Japan is not really about like how well you can speak the language or how well you're integrated. If you're not 100% Japanese, you're not Japanese. And I think that's toxic, of course, but I can't tell people who, how they've lived, you know, like, don't do that. But it also means, like, I feel kind of insecure about saying, like, oh, yeah, I'm Japanese because I'm, the, I'm 17% Japanese. <laughs> um, I know my aunts and uncles have had to, like, struggle as well because they're technically half Japanese. Yeah, aunts and uncles in, in yeah, Japan and, in Japan, yeah. Mm. Because they're they're half Japanese and it's this stigma of a hafu. Yeah. If I go to Japan, I'm not going to be seen as a Japanese person. I'm going to be seen as a white person. And it's kind of sad, but I've accepted that as well. At least I'm expecting it when I go there. Which makes me think like, okay, if I had actually been able to learn the language, it would have been easier. But yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel for you. Yeah. I feel for you because that that's my struggle, yeah. right? I'm half Indian. I I think if you line me up with a bunch of South Asians or people from Kerala, I wouldn't look like them because I'm half Chinese. My mom used to call me Kopi Susu, which is like Kopi is coffee and Susu is milk. Oh. Like she called me milk coffee. Like a little <laughs> because, cappuccino. Yeah. <laughs> cappuccino yeah because of my skin color yeah i don't look like any of my my relatives none of my cousins have to be such a different skin tone but i feel very indian in in the way i eat i eat with my hands when i go to little india and singapore like all those smells that's my childhood but i also know i don't look indian to most people right and i think this is what happens with people who have mixed heritage and, and and It is a struggle. I wrote an essay recently about being too much and not enough. Mm -hmm. And I really always thought about, okay, I'm only 50% Indian. Does that make me 50% less Indian as well? And so I I feel your struggle a lot. And also my my mom and my brothers have like this beautiful olive skin that kind of tans in the summer. And I got my dad's like pasty white. (laughs) You've said before you would tell people that you're a quarter Japanese. Yeah. And since you've gotten this annoying 17% thing, has that changed? No. It's just easier. Just like imagine a pie, cut it. Yeah. In quarters. And that's me. Nice. (laughs) Um, Did you ever struggle though growing up claiming the Japanese heritage? Because your mom's half Japanese, right? Yeah. Did you think that you were not fully Japanese enough or? No. Where I lived in the UK, there was not that many East Asian. So, um... I wasn't really confronted with like this kind of like, oh, you don't look Asian, so you're not Asian kind of thing. Um, I think it was more when I moved to Berlin. (laughs) What do you mean? Like there's a huge Vietnamese community and I feel like all of these people are like full Vietnamese. And I feel like, oh, I'm not as Asian as them. So I feel uncomfortable saying that like oh yeah i'm japanese guys like look at me Mm -hmm. (laughs) i I got really self-conscious about it when i moved here um but i feel like there's a lot of mixed people here yeah so it's not like i'm alone (laughs) and feeling like that but i I feel like more careful about saying that i'm i'm asian um 
I want to kind of probe a bit yeah. more um, this feeling of inadequacy or, you know, like you can't claim your your Japanese culture or heritage. Have people ever told you that you weren't Japanese enough? Maybe, in, I don't know, in school or something? Because speaking from mm. like personal experience, I've been told multiple times that I'm not even that I'm not Chinese enough, but just that I'm not Chinese because I don't look Chinese. You know, I have guys that told me, like, oh, I'll date you if you were Chinese. I'm mm. like, but I am Chinese. Um, so I wonder if that has ever happened to make you second guess. Um, maybe once, like a friend who's full Vietnamese. Um, I was maybe talking about like, oh, I really love like Japanese stuff. And he's like, yeah, but you're only 17%. Wait, he used 17% against yeah, you? Because, yeah, yeah. Because I told him, and I was like, thanks. Um, I did mention, like, hey, I'm a bit insecure about this. Like, yeah. uh, So he understood, but, you know, it was just his, you know, way of thinking that hadn't thought about, like, oh, maybe she's a bit insecure about this. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, But I don't, like, I had this insecurity before he said that, so I don't really know where it came from. Maybe this idea that I'm different, like that there's not a lot of people like me. So to then assume, okay, I am not like everybody else, so I'm not enough kind of thing. Yeah. And what have you done maybe to reconnect to your Japanese culture and identity, whether it's through food or speaking to your mom or I don't yeah. know? Um, I had an anime phase like in my early <laughs> teens. Um I wouldn't really say this was me, like, connecting with Japan. I just really enjoyed it. And I would draw, like, anime style and all of this stuff. But now I would say it's more food-related. So quite similar to you, where I love cooking Japanese food for other people. And I wouldn't say it's very authentic, but it's, like, my interpretation of it. And I love sharing it. And I also love showing people that Japanese food is not just sushi and ramen. It's also like tons of other stuff that maybe even I don't know about because I haven't like been to Japan properly and experienced everything. For example, like I love showing people natto because <laughs> I'm very curious what they think of it. My stepdad who's together with my mom. He hates it, but um, my boyfriend really likes it. So... I was quite proud. Pro props to your boyfriend. Yeah. Like I, he's quite open to food. I yeah. think so. I was very happy that he he liked it because I'm obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. Every time I go to the Asian store, I get like a whole pack, keep it in the fridge, and then I'm like, it's like my little snack. <laughs> um, Anything else? How about like language, for example? I took a Japanese A1 at university. I would like to say it's because I really wanted to reconnect <laughs> with my Japanese culture, but it was actually because it was the easiest language course. <laughs> Japanese was the easiest language course? Yes, because the teacher was so nice that she would give everybody the exercises that were going to be on the exam. <laughs> <laughs> the teacher would help you cheat. That's yeah. very un-Asian of her. <laughs> I know. I was so surprised. So I ended up getting like a 5.5, which is like the six is the highest. Yeah. Um, and I I really enjoyed this. For the exam, you had to learn um, two alphabets, which was hiragana and katakana. Mm -hmm. And I really liked learning how to write the the different characters. And I showed my mom and she's like, 
yeah, you're going to need to like practice on like how to write that. It looks pretty bad. And I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. I'm trying. Uh, well, that's like the classic, you I know. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, my mom's mom is also like this. My mom went back to Japan like a few, a few years ago for the first time in a while. And the first thing that her mom said to her was like, oh, you gained weight. Oh, I was, yeah, I was waiting for that. Typical. You either gained weight, you've lost weight. Something's wrong with your face. What happened to your complexion? Why do you have so many pimples? I mean, the list goes on. But about these, like, um, you can improve things. I'm so happy my mom doesn't do this to me. Um, okay. <laughs> One of the lucky ones. One of the yeah, lucky yeah. Ones. I think she's been like. Sometimes you're traumatized, and then you pass on that trauma. And yeah. other times you just don't because you don't want like you. Yeah. You're aware that it's it's very hurtful. Yeah. So my mom doesn't do that to me. But I, if someone said that to me, I would be so upset. So I can't really. I can't imagine. But I know it's common. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's not just a parent child relationship. It's also siblings. My brother, when I would call him, he would also be like, what happened to your face? You have a huge pimple there. Like, what What happened? Why? Like, it's 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 common. It's common and it's really hurtful. Mm-hmm. But I also have to kind of pretend that it's fine. We make fun of each other and that's yeah. the way we communicate. But it's really it just you're self-worth and confidence just like kind of takes a a beating but i think it's great that your mom doesn't do that but i kind of love that she's still this asian mom of like you could do better you know like that you got 89 out of 100 why not 100 out of 100 like that that's uh, a like peak asian she's like very like um particular about how clean things need to be Mm. and all of this stuff but um yeah thankfully not the nitpicking on the yeah Maybe on other physical stuff like clothes, like oh, you're wearing that shirt, <laughs> kind of thing. Got that? Oh, why did you put that shirt on? It has a stain on it. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, ironing clothes as well. Like you have to iron your clothes. Like my mom would not let me leave the apartment without ironing my clothes. Yeah, it's a huge thing about how you present yourself to people, yeah. right? You're not poor. You're well to do. You want to make sure people don't have a bad impression of you. Yeah. That's like super important. Uh, the worst thing is that I start to see myself doing this with my boyfriend. Oh. I really hate it. And then I do after it to I, my husband as well. <laughs> after I do it, I'm like, oh man, I'm turning into my mom. Oh no. I know the feeling. They always say this is going to happen and then you don't believe it and then it happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know the feeling. But I really love my mom, so it's not the worst thing in the world. Exactly. But yeah, there's like the nagging what I think it's nice in these moments is that because y- your mom doesn't live here in, in Berlin, right? No, she's right? in the UK still. I feel like when these little moments where I catch myself becoming my mother, the first time I realized I was disgusted with myself. I'm like, <laughs> how have I allowed myself to become my mother? But now I'm kind of like, it's kind of cute because my mom is, I don't know, 10, 12,000 kilometers away and I have a part of her like in me and she's like That's such a really nice a, way of thinking yeah. about it. Yeah. And it makes me feel closer to home. And I really love those moments. Mm-hmm. And um, talking about your mom, I wonder, have you shared with her that you're cooking Japanese food? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How yeah. does she feel about that? She's always super happy and proud. Like, oh, what a good job. Like I made Japanese curry from scratch. And normally you use like the, yeah. the bouillon and... Yeah. But I, I made it from scratch and I'm like, oh, mom, look how cool this is. I learned how to do it from scratch. And she's like, oh, that's amazing. But, but for context, my mom and my stepdad work as chefs. Mm-hmm. So they know a lot about cooking. So that also influenced me a lot, you know, to 
explore my identity or my Japanese identity through cooking has a lot to do with that. So. Do you call her for recipes or like ask yeah, her how to cook? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's this cold soba dish. Oh, I love oh, cold soba. <laughs> it's so good. And I was like, my I have a friend who, who actually grew up in Japan, but she's Swiss and Belgium. So I wanted to cook this for her or have this dish with her so that we could both celebrate that because my mom made it for me and she had it when she was in Japan. So I call my mom like, okay, what what toppings do I put? What do I need to buy from the Asian supermarket? Yeah, I think another nice experience was going shopping with my mom in the Asian supermarket. She'd always tell me the stuff, what, like what it is. And then I start doing that in the Asian supermarket. Like it's actually such a ritual for me to like go through all of the aisles and like look at it and like, oh, I could buy this and then make this. So um, I have like a lot of like partial ingredients for dishes that I haven't tried yet because I bought them in the Asian supermarket planning to make it at one point. Yeah, so, that's yeah. the same with me. And it reminds me of the book that we both read yeah. that we talked about, <laughs> yeah. which is Crying in H-Mart. Um, I, yeah. I actually read it because it was on Natalina's good read list. <laughs> I also recommended it because I figured you would connect with this yeah. kind of loss in the culture and, yeah. and distance. Um, you were, the last time you were in Japan, you were three. three. Do you plan to yes. go back to Japan at any point in time? I feel like it's one of those things that, I feel like a lot of people do this. They have this plan to do it, but they only want to do something, but they only want to do it at the very perfect moment. Mm -hmm. And I want my first vi visit back to Japan to be a long trip where I can like just experience everything and take my time and visit all the cities and go to Hokkaido and all of this stuff. But that means that I'm just putting it off until I find the right moment and I just need to go. But yeah, because I, I feel the same way. Like, I've always wanted to go to Kerala, which is where my yeah. um, paternal grandparents are from. Um, But I'm scared shitless. I don't speak the language. I speak zero. Well, I speak two words of Malayalam, which is like dog and pig. I know how to say those words because that's how my Why grandmother you... would scold me. When, oh, no, when, so <laughs> when I was like a kid, she'd be like, Ani, nai. I'm like, ah, I know that she would call me a dog or a pig. That's all I know. <gasps> um, but it's a, a term of endearment. Um, yeah. And so I, I know I'm really afraid of going back. I also for the longest time did not know where in Kerala my, yeah. my grandparents were from. And I recently just reconnected with the a lost uncle oh, nice. and he told me a lot about my family that I never knew about um and and I feel almost like if I can go to Kerala I can call myself Indian because yeah. I've met I've met Germans white German cis white German men oh. Oh. <laughs> to be more specific <laughs> in Berlin who have like said shit to me like you call yourself Indian and you've never been to India. How I've been they? to India for work. I was like, okay, you're really speaking from a place of privilege right now for you to be able to travel to India for work. And they tell me about, oh, I've traveled all through India or even, you know, people who go there for like yoga retreats. All of that has so much privilege wrapped up into that experience that I don't have. And 100% of the time, they are not actually experiencing the culture. Exactly. Because I went to India recently for work and I barely did anything because it was too hot and 
that was not what I was there to do. Like I was there to go to a company event, but I would have rather just walked through the streets mm. and explored and talked to people. And um, most of the time they're not actually really immersed in the culture, but just like superficially. And um, so they actually can't really say that they've been to India if they've just seen India through yeah. a taxi car. Yeah, that <laughs> That was one of the most difficult conversations yeah. I had because I really felt you something about... You, you, know, right, you were rightfully offended. Yeah, but also <laughs> I was really hurt because he really kind of hit the nail on the head yeah. in terms of where my insecurity with being Indian is, is, is till this day is. I feel I worry so much about claiming my Indianness and how can I do that if I've never been to India? I've never been, you know back to the motherland and um i think i worry if i go back to india i would feel out of place um and kind of be lost for words because i can't speak the language yeah do you do you have those same yeah fears, definitely. i guess yeah i know some people in japan can speak english and they also like i heard that a lot of people are friendly there to help tourists Super. and they really try yeah. and everything. So I know I'm going to be okay in that regard, but I just, I don't expect to be treated like I belong there, but treated like a tourist. And mm. that's what I'm scared of because I don't want to be a tourist. I'm going back to explore this 17% of me. Um, it's also where you were born. Yeah, I was right? born Think there. about it. You're not yeah. a tourist. My first few lives, uh, years of my life were there. Um, and it's the strongest connection I have and I don't want to be treated like a foreigner, but I will be, yeah. I've accepted it, but I'm still scared to experience it in the moment. Um, what's interesting though, is that, um, I have a Japanese legal name on my passport. If people see that, they're like, oh, that's Japanese. Oh, are you Japanese? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> um, but otherwise, I don't know if I'll be recognized. And even if I am recognized of having some Asian heritage, they won't accept me as Japanese there mm -hmm. just because of how their culture is like super homogenous. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be strange. But I just want to learn. I want to go there and learn everything and learn everything that I can, eat all the food and visit all the different cities and yeah i think that would be really amazing i also think of you going back meeting your aunts uncles grandmother <laughs> great grandmother so cool. cousins and i'm just thinking about michelle in that space with all her family half japanese fully japanese <laughs> grandmother it being in that space and i feel like you would thrive you would feel <laughs> so at home yeah in Japan with your Japanese family. Maybe I should go with my mom and then we can do this together. Oh, that would be so cute. That would be really, <laughs> really wonderful, I think. Yeah. Yeah. My mom and my brothers. <laughs> it's funny because my youngest brother actually looks the most Asian. And um, he's actually was scouted as a model uh, for, uh, for a modeling agency because he has that really like Pan -Asian. ambiguous uh. Asian, like, Asian look. Um, so I feel like he would be more, like, accepted there um, than me. Because I'm, I don't know, like, besides my high cheekbones or something, I don't really feel like any part of me identifies me as 
as Asian. I think you have an Asian Japanese heart. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm like really excited and just really excited to hear about your experience when you go back yeah. to, to Japan. What are you most looking forward to on that journey of rediscovering your heritage, identity and a homeland in a way? I'm like chasing that feeling of trying a Japanese dish for the first time. I want my whole trip to feel like that. Mm. <laughs> Just like experiencing things for the first time and feeling like, okay, this is this is who I am and I'm experiencing it for the first time kind of thing. Um, I think like that's something what I'm looking forward to, but also like all the food. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> And Tokyo, I've heard such amazing things about Tokyo. And if I love Berlin, I think I'm going to like Tokyo as well. Mm-hmm. Just like the little streets and the little shops and the restaurants and the bars and the subcultures. And I think it's going to be really interesting. For all of her insecurities about not being Asian or Japanese enough, I love that Michelle has what I would call very typical Asian experiences like that of her mother telling her that she could write better in Japanese and nitpicking on her appearance. It reminds me so much of all the conversations I had back home about how overbearing our parents are. I love how excited she gets about trying to cook Japanese dishes and sharing her creations with friends and loved ones. It's so similar to my culinary journey in Berlin. You know, I love nothing more than to spend days cooking up a storm for friends and colleagues so that they can taste just a little bit of what real Singaporean food is. Michelle may not have thought that she was Asian enough to be on this podcast, but I think you will agree with me that she's most definitely one of us. And to anyone considering visiting your family's ancestral homeland, I hope you do so with the fascination and excitement and genuine childlike wonder that Michelle has. Because honestly, what's the worst that could happen? Thank you for listening to Asia's Not a Country. Make sure to follow the show wherever you listen. Leave a review because that really helps us. You can also follow us on Instagram at asiasnotacountry.podcast. Share this with your friends, colleagues, and hey, maybe even in your family WhatsApp group. This episode is hosted and produced by me, Nathalina Pereira. My co-producers are Jasmine Bayomi and Ines Blasius. This episode was edited by Ines Blasius. Mixing and sound design by Dominic Etchley. Music Epidemic Sound. 